0: Good morning. The scripture reading for today is John chapter 7 verses 1 through 10. I mean, sorry. <laughs> Luke chapter 7 verses 1 through 10. Luke chapter 7. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now in Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us, our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, The centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I, too, am a man set under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turning to the crowd that followed him said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. This is God's word to us.
1: Here's a quick question. Thank you, brother. Here's a quick question to humble you a little bit. How many of your plans actually come to fruition? Like many of you plan to get to church on time this morning. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like plans, like, I mean, like it, you, you drew it up and it went just the way you expected it to go. my guess is that if we were to look at the success rate of our plans... The numbers would probably put us to shame. Too often, we do a lot of talking with very little walking. We have good ideas and lots of things we want to see done, but rarely, if ever, uh, carry them out. The famous line uh, from the poem entitled, To a Mouse is so true. The best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. And so if that is the case, if our, if our plans uh, f- f- rarely ever come to fruition, I want you to think about this statement that I am about to make. God's plans always come to fruition. They always come to fruition. His plans always go according to plan because you do understand god ordains whatever comes to pass first we we learn that we know that coming from psalm 115 and 3 that says that our god is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases meaning that he is sovereign over all things and therefore what Paul says in Ephesians 1 and 11 is true. In him we have obtained an inheritance, being, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works some things, all things, according to the counsel of his will. Whereas our plans may or may not get done, God's plans are as good as done. And God's overarching or umbrella plan established before the foundation of the world was to save a people for his glory. That's his plan. Saving the people he created and rebelliously turned their backs on him. That's his plan. This is the plan of the Bible. This is the purpose of all of human history, God saving sinners, and his plans always come to fruition. During the sermon series, we have been taking a a detailed look at that plan by peering into the various encounters Jesus had with those he came to save. Those according to God's plan that had been appointed for salvation. You, you do, you do know that is how it works. Anyone, Jesus encountered, who ultimately believed and trusted in him, did so according to the plan of God. This is what John had in mind, or what Jesus confirmed when he said in John six thirty-eight and 39, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. All those whom God the Father has given to God the Son, he will raise up on the last day. So each encounter with Jesus has with with those he saves are the ones, you do understand, that the Father has given to him. And so the language, our writer, Luke, of this gospel, the same language he uses in Acts 13 and 48 is correct, which says, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Appointed unto salvation. According to the purposes and plans of God, set before the foundation of the world. Those who God plans to save, he saves. God doesn't make mistakes. Jesus doesn't divert from the plan he was sent to carry out. God's plans don't go awry. That fact is, in, as, is important to take note of while we explore this encounter that Jesus has with the centurion this morning. Because, you see, if we were honest, there are times in our lives where the plans and purposes of God don't align with our plans and purposes, and his plans rub us the wrong way, and we get angry at God and think he is making a mistake. But it is in these times that we need to remember what the prophet Isaiah says, where he commands and where he says of what the Lord says in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, (laughs) neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Brothers and sisters, you and I will never fully grasp how much higher God's ways are than our ways. His plans and His purposes will always confound us. We we will never fully be able to comprehend his thoughts. For like my uncle once told me, which always sticks in my mind, if we could fully comprehend God, then guess what? He wouldn't be God. I think this is what Paul was seeking to communicate. At the end of romans 11 verses 33 and 35 where he is explaining the grace and the mercy and the kindness of god and and he is blown away and he gets to the end of the chapter and he says oh the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of god how unsearchable are his judgments and inscrutable his ways for who, who has known the mind of the Lord? Or, or who has been his counselor? Or who has, been, has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Far above. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. This, the end of Romans 11, was Paul's response as he tried As he tried to explain logically and to figure it out, just to explain the scope and the breadth of the incredible mercy, grace, and love of God. Paul is saying, I just can't wrap my mind around it. He's amazing. Oh, it's like that song that we used to sing as kids. God's love is what? So deep so deep you can't get under it and it's and it's so high you can't get over it oh that's the song we used to sing God's love is so deep so high we we just can't understand his ways they're far above our ways his plans far supersede our plans now why all that background Why all that background before we get into this encounter? Because this encounter Jesus had is different than all the encounters that we have explored thus far. While to us, we read this text and think, oh, well, this is just another person that Jesus encounters and that that he helps in Capernaum. But to the Jewish people walking with Jesus that day, this interaction would have been jaw-dropping. They would have been amazed, not, by, not just by the miracle that took place, but they would have been struck by what Jesus said. It would have conjured up confusion and caused people to think that Jesus was making a mistake. This was no mistake. This was no mistake. Jesus was about to blow their minds on how wide and how deep the love, grace, and mercy of God is. Luke tells us that Jesus was back in Capernaum after teaching. And teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, you'll see. And so we look at the the, the parallel encounter in Matthew. He's back in Capernaum, he's walking the streets, and as he is going along, he is soon greeted by a party of Jewish elders, and they are requesting that Jesus come with them. They tell him that they have been sent by the centurion. And who had a, had a servant who was on the verge of death, and he wanted Jesus to come and heal this servant, because he had a great relationship with the servant. He cared deeply for the servant, and he wanted Jesus to come and heal him. According to the text, the, the request that these uh, Jewish elders make to Jesus is extremely fervent. They plead with Jesus, come and help, come and help this man, saying to him, oh, this centurion, he is worthy of your help, Jesus. He is worthy to have you do this for him. And because they go on to explain how this centurion helped them build the synagogue, he likes us, Jesus. We have a good relationship with him. He is a friend to Jewish people. We have deemed him worthy of being helped by you. Come help him. I find it amazing how quickly we go to how much someone has done for us to determine their worthiness of being helped. Do you see that? That's what they did they interceded for him because he had helped them you ever think what if what if this man hadn't helped them what if he wasn't kind to them what if he didn't help them build the synagogue oh brothers and sisters unfortunately this reveals the transactional rela- the, the transactional nature of our relationships we live in a scratch my back i'll scratch your society do for me and i'll do for you this is, this is this is this was the jewish elders they thought they would persuade jesus to help this man because in their minds he was worthy of being helped listen, they were right to go to Jesus and to to plead with him for help, to help this man, but their motives were off. They, They felt that he had earned the help of the Lord. Sadly, these religious elders, religious elders, did not understand the nature of the kingdom. Paul tells us the nature of Of the kingdom, no in in Romans three and ten, as it is written, no none is righteous, no not one, not one. These these elders failed to realize that no one is worthy or deserving of being helped by the Lord. That is, that is, one way people wrongly think about the kingdom of God. That that they themselves or others are worthy of the kingdom of God. But then, there's another way to think about this. There there are those who think themselves worthy of being helped, and then no one else is worthy because of who they are or what they have done. They are part of the in-crowd or the privileged, and therefore they're worthy of being helped, and the person that is not in that crowd, not privileged, is not worthy then of being helped. In fact, I can almost guarantee, the text doesn't tell us this, but. But based upon what scripture tells us in other places, I can almost guarantee that there were some in the crowd that day who were following Jesus that didn't feel the same way about that centurion. You see, what easily gets lost on us, but, but, but would have quickly raised the eyebrows of those following Jesus that day, was the fact that a centurion was reaching out to Jesus for help. Now, that, that might get lost on you, but you must understand that this was a Roman centurion. He was a commander in the army of the government that was opposing the Jewish people and making their life difficult. Worst of all, he was a Gentile. A Gentile, one who the religious leaders believed had no rights to the kingdom of God and who they typically did not have good relations with. I'm sure some people who were following in that crowd were indignant with those uh, religious elders who were, we're going to help a centurion? A Roman a Roman centurion? Oh, so this ain't going to happen. They knew exactly what Jesus was going to say. They knew how he was going to respond to this request because they, they knew Jesus to be kind and, and meek and mild. Jesus will he'll just politely decline this request and send them on their way. But Jesus was about to show them once again the wideness of his grace, and inclusiveness of the kingdom, challenging both the notion that the centurion was worthy of being helped and unworthy of being helped. (laughs) Because remember, Jesus had a plan. This encounter with the centurion, it was not random, Jesus wasn't caught off guard when these elders made this request. He he wasn't moved by the crowd as as they had thoughts of what Jesus should and shouldn't do. He wasn't making things up on the fly. In, In fact, what we are seeing here is the beginning of the fulfillment of Simeon's prayer and praise in Luke 2. You remember when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to the synagogue and presented him to Simeon. And in in Luke 2, 29 and 32, Simeon beholds Jesus and he says, now that I I can die, I can can go be with my Father in heaven. And then he says, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. What? What? A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. This is the beginning of the fulfillment of Simeon's prayer and praise. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. Jesus is carrying out what Simeon saw and proclaimed in the temple that day the kingdom of god is not simply for the jews jesus came to bring salvation to the gentiles as well now if you're in here you should be praising god for that cuz you are a gentile <laughs> this was the plan of god from the be- it was the plan of god from the very beginning jesus redemptive plan throughout human history said that he was going to choose Israel, not because of anything good in Israel, not because they had the smartest people in the land, not because they had the best-looking people in the land, but it was according to his good pleasure. Read Deuteronomy 7 as your homework to see that. But because he would set their affection on them. And they weren't to boast in that, but what they were to do was to then Turn and be a light to the nations, that they might see Jesus, see him in all of his glory, that they they might worship God. That was his plan. And this is what Paul says in Romans 1 and 16, right? That salvation was to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. The Gentiles included included in God's plan of salvation from the very beginning. But sadly, many of the Jewish leaders missed that as they read their Old Testament scriptures. They they read them with blinders on. They read with an ethnocentric lens. That that is why this encounter would have caught them off guard. That is why why they thought they knew how Jesus was going to answer this request he was just going to dismiss this gentile he has nothing to do with the kingdom of god because jesus knew the plan and because his appointments are ordained we read this in luke 7 and 6 and jesus went with them and jesus went with them no, hes- no hesitation. He wasn't trying to correct the elders' misguided theology. He wasn't going to do it right then and there. He simply went with them. Oh, as we have said before, Jesus doesn't run from the brokenness. He runs to it because he is full of compassion, eager, eager to help those in need. So as he was on the way, He's on the way to the house with these elders he's going to help this Roman centurion he is met by another delegation that the centurion sends this time rather than urging him to come to the house they tell him to no longer the centurion says don't no longer trouble yourself jesus don't come to the to the house what happened what happened what caused this change of heart well the Bible doesn't tell us what actually caused the change in the centurion but one thing is very clear from the text the Holy Spirit brought conviction to this man and he brought faith to this man that was the difference that was the change He brought conviction. Notice what the centurion, through the delegation, said to Jesus in verse 6. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Do you see that? While the religious elders deemed him worthy to have Jesus come to him, the centurion knew himself to be unworthy to have Jesus come to his house. Now, in order, listen, in order for him to make a statement like that, think about who's making this statement. That powerful Roman official who commanded others, To have him state publicly that he, a Roman official, is unworthy to have a Jewish rabbi come to his home, for him to do that, he had to have come to know who Jesus was. (laughs) He had to have. And coming to that understanding, he was humbled, and he rightly and clearly understood his unworthiness before Jesus because brothers and sisters that is the only response to seeing Jesus rightly you realize you are unworthy of his presence remember that's what happened to peter on the boat, we've, we've, we've gone through this in the, in the series, in Luke 5 and 8. When, when Jesus told them to cast down their nets and all the fish began to over, overload the boat, Simon Peter saw it and he fell down on his knees to says, and said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Peter recognized his unworthiness in the presence of Jesus. But this was Isaiah as well. Isaiah 6 and 5, where he catches a glimpse of the throne up in heaven and he says, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah Saw the Lord and recognized his unworthiness. This, I think, was that centurion. His eyes were opened up. Holy Spirit had opened up his eyes and showed him that he was not worthy to have the Lord come to his house. Did you notice that in the text? He called him Lord. Now, remember, when the first delegation was sent, the centurion called him Jesus. He had heard about a man named Jesus who could heal his servant. Now, he is calling him Lord, Lord, and telling him he is unworthy to have him come to his house. Oh, brothers and sisters, listen, no one is worthy of having Jesus come into their home. No one, no one, no one is worthy of having Jesus help them. But here is the thing, sin makes us think that we are. We think it is our deeds that determine how much we should be helped by God. And that's why people get angry at God. Oh, Lord, 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 don't you know how much I have done for you? Oh, you owe me healing. You owe me good grades. I, I, I deserve obedient children and a high-paying job. Lord, I've been serving you all these years. You owe me something. We think Jesus owes us. Or, or we feel like we haven't done enough to earn the help of the Lord. I haven't read my Bible enough or served enough to ask you for anything, Jesus. Jesus, we think that God is transactional and that is dealing with us is tied to our good deeds or our bad deeds. Oh, brothers and sisters, did you, did you hear what Paul said? No one is righteous. No, not one. And it is grace. It is not according to work so that no one will boast. We are all unworthy. 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 That's what the Spirit does. He reveals to us our unworthiness. When he illuminates the eyes of our heart, we see just how filthy we are, how unworthy we are, how unholy we are, how unrighteous we are. But thanks be to God As the song says, for the unclean, the unholy, for the broken, the unworthy, you came. Jesus, you came. For the unworthy, he came. He came. The centurion was right where he needed to be. He knew he was unworthy. Holy Spirit had brought conviction. Oh, but he also, he also brought faith. Luke 7 and 7. He says, do this delegation to Jesus. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. (laughs) The centurion knew that that that, he, that, that, that Jesus come, he was unworthy to have Jesus come to his house. But, but that understanding also brought him to a clear and a firm belief that Jesus had the power to heal with a word right where he stood. <laughs> Just say the word, Jesus. Just say it. And I know, I know, I know you don't need to show up. You don't need to come to the house. I know, just say the word, and my servant, he's going to be healed. Oh, brothers and sisters, this is spirit-produced faith. For for he was fully confident that Jesus not only had the power, but that power stemmed from his authority. His authority, and, and he knew how authority worked. He knew how it worked. He says, I myself am a man under authority. Listen, listen, I know how it works. I say to one, go, and he goes. And another, come, and he comes. And my servant, do this, and he does it. In other words, he is saying, I simply have the authority to command a hundred men, but you, Jesus, are, are Lord of lords and king of kings. You created with a word. Certainly, surely, you can heal with a word. Just a word. He believed Jesus, right where he stood, could speak a word and heal. This was faith, brothers and sisters. And not just little faith. This was great faith. Not my assessment. Not my assessment. That's what Jesus says. This was Jesus' response. Notice what he says in Luke 7 and 9. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Brothers and sisters, I need you to understand something about Jesus' response here. There are not not many times in the Bible where we read about Jesus marveling at something. In fact, there are only two recorded instances in the Bible of this happening. And this right here is one of them. The other instance is in Mark 6 when Jesus marvels at the unbelief of the Jews. Gentile, he marvels at the faith of this Gentile. The unbelieving Jews, he marvels at their unbelief. Amazed, amazed. Jesus was amazed at this man's faith, amazed at it, marveled at it. Faith that I believe was twofold. This man believed in Jesus he believed in Jesus. He believed in whoever Jesus said he was. I have no doubt about that. But he also trusted the power and the authority of Jesus. That is faith. That's the faith I want to hone in on. The faith to believe that God can not simply that he will answer my quest, my request that god can not simply that he will answer my request those are two different things people think faith is only believing god will i believe god will heal heal i believe god will give me this job i believe god will give me a spouse That type of faith disappoints because that is the type of faith that ties faith to your ability to believe. God didn't answer because I didn't have enough faith to will him to do it. I didn't believe enough. That is not the faith we're talking about. The faith we are talking about is the faith to believe that God can, that God can. You trust his power and his authority, that he is able to do that which we ask for. This faith says, I believe with great faith that, God, you are able, but I trust your will. I trust you. you, Lord, are you willing? I believe that you are able, Lord. are you willing? It's able. Listen, don't, don't let anyone tell you you don't have faith because you are not sure if God will answer your request the way you want it to be answered. Oh, oh, listen. If you can sing the song, Oh, he's able. He's able. I know he's able. I know my God is able to carry me through. Oh, if you can sing that with full confidence and trust in Jesus, then guess what? That's great faith. He's able. He's able. Are you willing? Oh, R.C. Sproul says it this way, the faith we are to exercise in prayer says that says the Father can do what we ask, not that he will do what we ask. What God can do and what he has willed to do are not always the same thing. Oh, this was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember? So they stood before the fiery furnace because they refused to bow down This is amazing what they say in Daniel 3, 17 and 18. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. I don't doubt that he is able and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They believed that God was able and left his will to be done. Able, able. This is the faith of the centurion, faith he humbly expressed to Jesus. I know that you possess the power and the authority to heal Jesus with just a word. Will you do it, Lord? Will you do it? Jesus was willing. He was willing. He healed with just a word. Miraculous. Amazing. They, They went back. Some went back to the house and found the servant well. Jesus marveled, marveled at this man's faith. And he sees the crowd walking behind him, perhaps knowing what some of them are thinking. Helping the centurion. Looked at the faith of the centurion. Marveled and said, I tell you, not even in Israel Have I found such faith? Jesus commended this Gentile for having more faith than anyone he had found in Israel. The so-called people of God. Jesus was letting them know his plans were far greater and far grander than they could have ever imagined. The kingdom was going to be full of Gentiles too, according to the extraordinary, loving, merciful plan of God. A plan, a plan that far exceeds our understanding. A plan that is still saving unworthy sinners. A plan that will be completed. No mistakes, no hiccups. God, one by one, is saving people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and that plan will come to fruition. (laughs) Believe on Jesus. Trust him. If you trust him this morning, then guess what? You are appointed for salvation according to the definite plan of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you, your, your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. Oh, you. You have plans that far supersede anything that we could ever think or imagine. Your love, your mercy is deep, so deep we can't get under it and so high we can't get over it. You save, not by works, not by merit. You save according to your plan. Thank you, O Father, for saving unworthy sinners. I pray if there's anyone here that doesn't Know you, oh God, that either thinks that they are worthy of being saved and so are deep in their self-righteousness or those that don't think that they've done enough to earn your salvation. Open up their hearts to see their unworthiness. The foot of the the cross is level. We all need Jesus. We all need your help. And you help the unworthy. For those, for those you came. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your son. In Jesus' name we pray.